I grew up being like, I have a vision disability, so how am I going to do this? Like, just because it's different doesn't mean it's wrong. That was Ileana Mason. Ileana is not only a Paralympic athlete representing Team USA in the sport of goalball, but she's also my cousin, which is pretty cool. Ileana won a bronze medal at the Rio 2016 Paralympics and is now training to compete in the Tokyo Games, and she's also in school to become a mental health counselor for disabled individuals. In this episode, Ileana and I chat about mental health and disability in sports and how she's managed to stay positive and not let her visual impairment get in the way of achieving her goals and living a purposeful life. Before we dive into our chat, this episode is sponsored by Anchor. Hi, Ileana. Thanks so much for coming on to the podcast today. Hi, Stella. Thank you so much for having me. Can we start off by having you tell us who you are and what you do? Yes. So my name is Ileana Mason, and I am a Paralympic goalball athlete. Goalball is a sport for blind and visually impaired athletes. I'm also in grad school I'm working towards my master's in clinical mental health counseling. That's amazing. How many years left do you have of school at the moment? So I'm in my final stretch. I have finished all my classwork and now all I have left is internship hours. Because of COVID that got a little messed up, but essentially I will be done next December with having a thousand supervised internship hours under my belt. Wow. I know COVID has really kind of screwed up a lot of schedules, but so exciting that you're still on track to graduate and you just have like this final stretch left. I want to get a little bit more into the future of you becoming a mental health counselor a little bit later in the episode, but I know that you're a Paralympic athlete. You won the bronze medal at the Rio 2016 Olympic Games, which is incredible. And I'm really curious to hear more about how you got interested in playing goalball. Yeah, definitely. So thank you so much, by the way. It was incredible to win a bronze, but we were training so hard for that gold medal uh, for the Tokyo 2020 Games coming up this summer. But um, a little context, goalball is a sport for blind and visually impaired athletes, and it was developed after World War II for blinded vets as a rehabilitation sport. It was inducted as a Paralympic sport in 1976. And essentially, goalball is not like any sport you've ever heard of. So if you're sitting there thinking, what is goalball like? It's not like anything you know. It's on a volleyball-sized court, 9 by 18 meters. The ball is 3 pounds and has bells in it. There's three players on each side. And the defending team is trying to use their body to block the ball from getting to the goal. And the offensive team is throwing the ball about 35, 40 miles an hour to try to score past the team. And the most important thing that I always forget to mention is every athlete is wearing eye shades to black out any vision. So no matter what your level of visual limitation is, you're completely equalized on a playing field. So instead of hand-eye coordination, you're using hand-ear coordination in our sport. Wow. So you're really, you're really kind of utilizing other senses in order to play the game because everyone is equally, um, you know, the blindfold is on everyone. So they're equally not able to see anything. Absolutely. So the court is string with tape over it. So you can feel where you're at at all times. And that's how you orient players orient themselves. And then the ball has bells in it. So you're listening to it. You have about a second of reaction time or less, and then you're diving out, putting your body between the goal and the ball going into the goal. And if you've ever seen rugby, sometimes we say it looks like a scrum at the back of the net. We're all diving to try to block that ball. But there is a method to the madness. So it is organized chaos, to say the least. But (laughs) it's amazing because 
vision is eliminated. And so you can be an athlete first and just play the game that you love and not worry about any visual limitations or barriers or anything, um, putting you at a disadvantage visually. So goalball, I mean, to be a Paralympic athlete is an incredible commitment a huge time commitment, physical commitment. How did you decide that you wanted to pursue this path in life? Yeah, well, I'm very competitive. I'm the only girl in the middle of two brothers, so nothing more needs to be said there. Um, And I grew up loving sports and never being able to compete the way I wanted to. I love soccer, but by the time I'd see the ball, it was kicked away. And I just remember getting so angry and just wanting to sit down in the middle of the field because I couldn't track the ball. Um, I tried other sports like track and they were fun, but I wanted a team sport and I wanted a contact, high intensity, competitive sport. I discovered goalball when I was about 15 or 16 and not going to lie, didn't love it at first. I don't, you know, getting a three pound ball thrown at you as hard as you can, can kind of be a little intimidating. (laughs) Um, But I was very adventurous and always loved to try new things. And I went to my first youth tournament in Florida and fell in love with the competition, with the environment, with meeting other goalball athletes. And I decided my senior year of high school that I wanted to make a Paralympic team, that I wanted to compete in goalball in the Paralympics and represent Team USA. And from that point, it just became about like pushing myself and the drive and determination and following through with training, with nutrition, with working out, with practice, with making commitments, with missing important events in my life to to go to these tournaments and prioritize winning and trying to be the best. And so making the Rio 2016 Paralympic team was incredible and amazing. And it just left me wanting more. Like I said, bronze is great, but gold <laughs> is the goal. <laughs> right. And well, I mean, Tokyo is coming up in 2021, this upcoming year, I guess when this episode will be released, it will be 2021. So later in this year, which is crazy, how are you feeling about the Tokyo Olympics? I'm feeling really rejuvenated and excited. When COVID hit, it was definitely a a blow. It was devastating for everybody. Um, For the sports, Paralympic and Olympic world in particular, we were less than 200 days out. And then all of a sudden it's pushed a whole year. So that takes a lot of rearranging, replanning, everything we do was to peak in August of 2020. So we had to recalibrate and we have, and you know, we're about to hit 2021 and we're going to hit the ground running and we are training and we're working hard and we're excited. Like we're about, like, we're ready to, to jump back in and try to achieve that goal that we still have. How did you deal with the stress that came with finding out that the Olympic games are going to be postponed and pushed. You're training so hard. The sport requires you to be so disciplined, so on top of it, so focused and really build resilience. Like how are you able to kind of bounce back from that setback? Yeah. You know, everyone always says find the silver lining. And I think there's a lot of truth to that, but also it's a balance. You've got to let yourself feel the feelings. Everyone lost something this year. And so we can all like, connect that way of realizing everyone's life has been thrown upside down and whatever plan you had, no one got it. No one got it achieved. So there's some connection with everyone going through that, but then there's also the uniqueness of everyone having their own thing they're working through. And so I think it's important to let yourself feel that frustration or that irritation or that devastation of what you had not working out and then figuring out. So what can I gain from this? I got to spend the summer instead of training all summer. I got to be in Oregon, got to see my baby niece walk for the first time, which was incredible. There's a lot of things I got 
from this year that I'm going to take with me. And in terms of sports, I got a whole extra year of training. Like you can't complain about that. It gives me another year to be better. So um, another year to just keep pushing and working hard. And it gives our whole team that, that time to keep growing, keep connecting, keep bonding, keep working hard. And so while we all handled it in our own way, we also all came together and we're like, we want this and we're going to make it happen. Yeah. I mean, that's a really optimistic way to reframe everything that's happened this past year in 2020. And I think that's such an important mindset to adopt because now more than ever, we've realized just how uncertain things are in life. We never really know what's going to happen next. And just being able yeah, to stay in that present moment and be agile, knowing that if something comes your way that you're not expecting, you can you can tackle that with confidence and yes. um, with uh, conviction as well in order to move forward and pave a more optimistic path and take something from that experience. Yes, it's really important to be resilient, but something I've learned like on a personal level and on a professional level from majoring in mental health counseling is so often we want to bury our own feelings because it's like someone else could have it worse. I shouldn't feel bad because I still have a roof over my head. I still have food. And while it's good to be humble, that line of thinking makes us feel like suffocated because then we can't have our own feelings. And so instead of saying but or or, it's and. And that's what I've really learned in my program. It's this is a hard situation and it could be worse. And so you're giving yourself that space for your own feelings and also recognizing the other's experiences out there as well. That's a really great point. And I've never heard of that before. Like instead of but or or, it's and kind of just building on the experience that you're already describing. I think mental health is so personal. Like no one can really get inside of your head and understand exactly what you're thinking or exactly what you're feeling. And there shouldn't really be a need to kind of compare or size up any of the challenges that you're facing against what other people's experiences are. Exactly. Your experiences are real and they're valid. And so they need to be treated with care for yourself. Yeah, that's that's really great advice. And I'm sure your studies have really helped to bring that more to light. And I, I also want to circle back more into your childhood. You're very athletic growing up and you also have grown up and are visually disabled. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about what your visual disability is and how it's impacted your mindset on athleticism and and growing up navigating those challenges. Yeah. So to explain vision, I want to start off by saying it's a spectrum. So often people expect you to either be sighted or blind and anything in between they don't understand. And so it's important to realize just like any type of impairment, vision impairment comes in all different like dis- like all different diseases or forms. And it's, it's all so different. And so my vision impairment is going to be so different than any other person you encounter. So acuity, acuity is how far you can see. 2020 is the gold standard. My acuity is 2300, meaning what you can see from 300 feet away, I have to be 20. So, that's so you have to be, you have to be like really close to an object in order really to be able, close. really close in order to be able to fo- like fully see it or just make out maybe like the shape or color. Exactly. And so um, another thing people always assume if you're like blind or visually impaired, then you're colorblind. I'm not. I can match colors very well. Thank you. I just got to be close to them. Um, So that is important to realize. I don't have any vision in my left eye. So all I can see is out of my right eye. And then so you have acuity and then you have field and field is like the degrees of vision um, that you're that's basically your peripheral. 
And so my field is pretty limited. The best way I can explain it is if I'm looking straight, I can't see side to side or up and down. I have to like physically turn my head to see what's around me. And so it makes functional vision very hard, like to just glimpse things out of the corner of your eye. Like I, I don't understand that phrase. What is the corner of your, I don't know, but, um, so it's kind of like, like tunnel vision, like when horses have like uh, those, I don't even know what they're called, like the blinders or whatever on the The side of their, exactly. exactly. Tunnel vision. That's exactly what it's called. (laughs) So, um, my vision is pretty limited. I also explain to people, like if I'm looking at them, I can see your face, I can see your hair color, but I can't see the color of your eyes. So it's like details are kind of lost. Um, on, on me. So that's my vision. But like I said, every in visually impaired individual has a different um, eye condition or reason and the way it affects them is so different. And for me, I was born with my eye condition. And so like with anything, there's pros and cons to any situation. Being born with my eye condition means I don't know anything differently. So I didn't know I was blind until I was five years old, which might sound funny, but when you're a little kid, you don't realize differences. You think everyone sees the way you do. It wasn't until I was in kindergarten and the teacher kept talking about the board and I'm sitting there. I'm like, what is the board? Like, what is this board she's talking about? <laughs> like the whiteboard, like the yeah, chalkboard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had no idea. I'm like, what, what is the board? Like, cause she kept pointing at it and I couldn't see it. And so like everyone, obviously in my family knew I was blind, but like my five-year-old self was like, Oh, everyone sees the way I do. Like what's the difference? Right. So, um, because it's always been what I've known when people say like, Oh, well, what can you see? I just like want to say, well, what can you see? I don't know how to compare it because all I know is what I know. Um, so that is, you know, in a way I've never had to adjust. I think losing vision later in life poses a whole different set of adjustment. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, that's something, but it, you know, it is hard being the only visually impaired child in a family of three kids, um, trying to keep up with my brothers and having like barriers or limitations, my family was really great. We got like tandem bikes and we, you know, they included me in everything that they could, but there's still that, that feeling of otherness and different. And so getting involved with adaptive sports and specifically goalball really was the beginning of my confidence because I was for once an athlete first and I could be, mm-hmm. I could just be myself and not have to try so hard to just be on the same playing field as everybody else around me. Yeah. I mean, Obviously, like I know your immediate family because we're cousins, we're related. And I know that they've always been so amazing. As you've described to me in the past, like never really put thoughts into your head that like you couldn't achieve something because of your visual disability. Yeah, they've always, you know, my parents treated me the same as my brother. So I didn't grow up thinking like, oh, I have a vision disability. I can't do this. I grew up being like, I have a vision disability. So how am I going to do this? Like, just because it's different doesn't mean it's wrong. And so I'm just learning to adapt or accommodate and try to do everything I can. Biggest thing I can't do is drive. Like that's never happening. That's okay. I've accepted it. That's totally okay. I don't even know how to drive. And I feel like yeah. so many people don't even know how to yeah, drive. Yeah, exactly. Like there's other, there's accommodations. I mean, waiting for that self-driving car, not going to lie. I'm going to be first <laughs> in line. But the point is like most things in life you can adapt or accommodate. And so that's important to me that people understand that just because it's different doesn't mean it's wrong. And another amazing thing you've said to me in the past is that disability does not mean inability. I think so often we associate disability with incompetence or inability or like 
we just see what people aren't capable of instead of looking at everything they still are capable of doing. And I, it's important to me that we kind of start acknowledging this and changing the culture around disability and not assuming what people's capabilities are, but letting them show you, ask them, let them teach you um, what they can do. And don't just assume so often I travel a lot for goalball. I've been all over the world for this sport and sometimes I travel alone. And when I do that, I have to ask for assistance at the airport because I can't see where the gates are. And they always try to like want to move, like take me in a wheelchair. And I'm like, I can walk. I just can't see. And I have to explain that every time. And then they'll try to take me to the elevator. I'm like, I can do stairs. I can do an escalator. I just can't see. And they, I have to constantly, continuously explain this. And it, instead of them asking me, they're just assuming, oh, if she can't see, then she can't do X, Y, or Z. And so that needs to be changed. Yeah. And I'm sure like those situations are really frustrating where you, you feel maybe that people are just assuming things about you because of this one disability. And in times like that, like, how do you, how do you remain calm and stay positive and move forward from that? Like, how do you adopt a better mindset from those frustrating conversations? (laughs) I think it depends on the day. Some days I'm really (laughs) patient and I just like, I'm going to educate you. Sometimes I'm just exhausted and it's like, just take me to the stairs. Like I just, I'm not in the mood to educate. And so it really depends, I think on my mood. And I wish I could tell you every time I encounter someone who is unsure or unaware, ignorant, I'm patient and kind, but like, I'm, I'm also human. And I like get exhausted of like, educate yourself. Like I shouldn't be your only exposure to disability at times. And I think it depends on how people approach me as well, too. As I mentioned, vision loss is a spectrum. And so I describe my vision to you. So with my phone, my font is huge. And I have to hold it pretty close to my face, but I can read my font. And so if I'm out and about and I have my cane, which identifies me as someone who's visually impaired and people see me on my phone, I've literally had people accuse me of faking my blindness because I'm looking at my phone. Seriously? uh, Yes, absolutely. I had this whole conversation with this person who was like, you're faking your blindness for attention. And like, A, who would do that? And B, like, why would someone do that? Like, I, I... I would rather not be blind. I mean, I'd rather just get in a car and drive, but like, this is the hand I was dealt. So I'm making the best of it. But if someone were to say to me, oh, I noticed you can't see, but you seem to look at your phone. Can you explain that to me? Sure. Let me tell you. But if you're going to come up to me and be like, why are you looking at your phone? If you can't see, then it's like, well, who are you to make these assumptions and these judgments? So I think it's important to just recognize how do you approach someone being unaware or having questions is so normal. There's so many things I'm uneducated about and I don't know, and probably have offended someone in my life and, you know, would want to learn more. So it's not, you know, it's not a bad thing. If you don't know, it's how do you approach someone? How do you talk Mm -hmm. to them? How do you educate yourself and, and like learn more? Yeah, that's so important. And I'm, I'm so glad you bring that up. And apart from constantly educating um, able-bodied individuals, how can we empower those who are facing disabilities? And how can able-bodied people be better allies to those who have experienced any sort of disability? I think like you meant, like you said, like the education, and then I think just awareness. And I think constantly checking our own biases and our own assumptions. If we encounter someone who is hearing impaired, don't yell at them. Don't talk slower, just speak to them. And they'll tell you like, oh, I'm sorry. Can you do this? People will let you know what they need. So 
have faith and confidence in people with disabilities that they're going to advocate for themselves. And so unless they tell you otherwise, treat them the way you would treat anybody else. And then if they say, oh, actually, I'm visually impaired. Can I guide off of you? Or, oh, actually, can we do this? Because I like have a, like a muscle you know, impairment and I can't like go this route or I can't do these stairs. Have faith and trust in people that they will advocate for what they need. And until then, like don't assume for them what they need. Yeah, that's huge. And I think a lot of people, obviously, like it's it's human nature to just make assumptions. That's kind of like how our brain is wired. But obviously in this instance or in this case, it's so important to take a step back and just treat others, you know, like how you would treat anyone else. Like just just treat people with human decency yeah, and with respect. Kindness, with respect, kindness and dignity. And I really want to like, you know, hone into that it's okay if you don't know or understand. Like I said, there's a lot of things I'm constantly educating myself on. So it's not that it's like you're wrong if you don't know. It's just about what's your approach to like then learn. What like do better, be better. How are you going to accomplish that? Definitely. I, I want to move a little bit more into now that you're in school, finishing up your studies to be a mental health counselor. How do you think that your experiences with your visual impairment and being a professional athlete have shaped your journey now to become a mental health counselor and, and what you hope to achieve in the future? Yeah, well, I think being a professional or like a like a you know athlete training for the Paralympics, it takes so much determination and work ethic and there's days where like I feel like I'm plateauing there's days where I have a terrible practice and I like leave the court in tears and I'm just like this is awful and you have to keep pushing through and so I can take a lot of the skills I've learned from being an athlete and put them towards being a student or being a professional on my resume I talk about being an athlete because it's taught me core skills and values in the workplace you're gonna have a bad day at work or you're gonna have you know, people in the workplace you don't get along with. Just like sometimes on your team, you might have people you disagree with. And so you need to learn how to be a good teammate and work with others. Same in the workplace. You need to learn how to be a good coworker and work with others. So I've had a lot of transferable skills from being an athlete that I'm taking with me into my career. In terms of how my career like has been shaped by my life, I feel like mental health is an undervalued field. And I feel like disability is an undervalued field. And I feel like disability and mental health are two passions of mine. So if I can bring those together and be like an advocate and like a mental health counselor who specializes in disability counseling, then like how amazing is that to like bring my passions together and make a positive impact in the life of others and be that person that I didn't have growing up, be someone that individuals who have disabilities and also may benefit from mental health counseling can come to and I can be like a safe, positive place for them to like work through what they need to with someone who can relate to what it's like having a disability. So bringing my passions together is what really makes me feel like fulfilled and like motivated for like my career. That's the sweet spot being able to bring your passions together and really follow what you're interested in and stay true to what your passions are and bring them together in a way that, you know, you can pursue it professionally 
and yeah. also keep doing what you like for fun and exactly. find joy and fulfillment out of that. I'm so excited for you. I'm really excited Thank to you. see all the amazing things that you're going to do in the mental health field. And I agree with you. I think there's a huge stigma around mental health and there's a lack of awareness and education around disability. Absolutely. And that's why I'm, I'm so happy to have you on this podcast and to chat about your experience playing goalball, competing at the Rio 2016 Olympics and winning bronze. And I, I know now that Tokyo is coming up. How, how has training been? How have things been going so far getting ready for Tokyo? Yeah, training's been good. We kind of just reworked our training schedule and we're working to, like I said, be at our top peak in August. And everyone is just feeling, I think, very like motivated and rejuvenated and like ready. We're, we're ready for Tokyo. So we just want to make sure that like we're like physically, emotionally, mentally, like cohesively, like we want to do everything in our power to be as ready as possible for this event we've been training for for the past four years now. Yeah, that's real determination and discipline. So I I don't know if they're going to have spectators, fingers crossed. I, yeah, we'll, I see. Would... <laughs> we'll see. And I really quickly just want to throw out, you have the Olympic Games and then you have the Paralympic Games. Goalball is a Paralympic sport and Paralympics are for any athlete with a physical impairment. So there are 22 Paralympic sports and that's where you'd find sports as wheelchair basketball, wheelchair rugby, sitting volleyball. There's archery, para swimming, para track, para cycling. In all those sports, they all have an able-bodied partner sport except goalball. As I mentioned, it was created in World War II as an adaptive sport. And so in its essence, the sport is adaptive, which is really cool on one hand, but then also makes it difficult because then everyone's like, well, what is goalball like? And I'm like, well, it's it's, it's its own sport. It's not like any able-bodied sport you know of. And so trying to just promote awareness on adaptive sports, disability sports, and like raise awareness on goalball. Um, I didn't learn about it till I was 15 and I was born blind. So it also is a passion of mine to work with youth. I work at youth camps, teaching goalball, promoting the sport and getting as many kids aware and involved with it as possible because it is not as known about as it should be. So trying to raise awareness. So just wanted to make the distinction Paralympics and then you have Olympics and the Paralympics are held a couple weeks after the Olympic games, same village, same village, same venues. We train at the Olympic training center. It's all one cohesive unit. So you have the U United States Olympic and Paralympic committee. So just wanted to, you know, raise some awareness on Paralympics at the same time. Thank you for sharing that because I'm not sure that many of my listeners might know what the distinction is either. So I Absolutely. think it's so important to spread awareness about that. Is there any like social media handle or website that we can follow along your journey or anything that you might share and post about your training and goalball? We have Facebook and Instagram for both USA Women's Goalball and USA Men's Goalball. And those are like the, the biggest handles to follow for Instagram. Um, oh, and Twitter. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We have the, the USA Women's Team and then the USA Men's Team. And then um, my personal Instagram is just my first name and middle name, Ileana Marie. So... Awesome. Well, thank you. If people want to go follow, they can, can they can go check you out at Ileana Marie and also the USA Women and Men's Goalball Team on Facebook and Twitter. Before I let you go, and I'm so happy that you came on to Everyday Endorphins, this is one question that I ask every single guest on the podcast. What is something that brings you endorphins every day? Going on walks, honestly. I have learned to love walks, and I feel like that's very generic and basic, but... 
it just, I used to feel frustrated having to like walk to get from A to B because I can't drive. And this pandemic has really made me slow down and appreciate being outside and taking the fresh air and walking. And so um, just going on walks now is really like refreshing and reframed how I feel. And I enjoy it every day going outside on a walk, rain or shine or snow when I'm in Fort Wayne and it's freezing. Yeah. Even just like a five, 10 minute refresher can do wonders. I've been going on a lot of walks also because again, there's also like not a lot to do these days um, socially, but uh, I love that answer. And I think it's really always in the small moments or the small, tiny choices that we make that can really have a great impact on our mental and physical well-being. Yes. Thank you again so much, Ileana. It was great to have you on the podcast today. Yeah. Thank you for having me.